Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week, week five of IMC 600. I hope you all are doing well. So before we get into it, I just want to go over a couple things. Um, first, I want to make a disclaimer of sorts. Uh, being that this is a class, I do not really want to get political about anything at all. However, given the nature of this topic and the world that we live in, it's almost impossible not to give a nod to some things out there that uh, may be considered politically divisive. That said, let me be clear, I'm only bringing up these as examples to consider as marketers and not to endorse or disparage any political or social ideologies. Also, being that this is a shorter chapter and one that lends itself to a lot of good discussion, I'd like to use our Moodle this week a little bit more to have a longer conversation. You'll note that I'm only having one discussion question in addition to our case study. I'd really like to see us run with this week's discussion a bit more than normal. So I've been looking forward to this chapter as it's my favorite in the book. And as I said last time, uh, I know it's probably a little weird to have a favorite chapter in a college textbook. The reason that I like this chapter is because while it's short, there's a lot of big stuff in it. And it's stuff that you may face as marketers. This chapter uh, provides a good lens to look at the world and uh, to consider what's going on and what you can do as marketers and how to operate as marketers. I also like it because the journalism school places priority on ethics, and ethics were a big part of my education uh, in both graduate and undergrad uh, studies there. So I would like to start out uh, talking about this chapter with a story. Um, I'm going to take you back to the summer of 2008. Um, that summer was the summer of the big gas spike that we saw. Um, that summer was when gas went over $4 a gallon, and it was insane. At that time, um, I had just graduated um, undergrad, and I was starting out my career. Um, I moved back down here at Bonas to start working, or moved down here by Bonas to start working at a paper. And um, the the semester leading up to graduation, we were starting to notice some things, though they were kind of small. Um, there were some fluctuations in the market. Gas prices were starting to go up a little bit, uh, but we were kind of used to that. Um, particularly during the Bush years um, and George Bush, uh, George W. Bush's presidency was in its final months at that point. Uh, we had been at war with, uh, you know, through the war on terror, so gas prices had already jumped and we were living with that, but they were starting to really go up. I remember uh, that spring getting kind of ticked when I saw gas uh, hit $2.56 a gallon and thinking, what am I going to do here? There's no way I can afford that. And, uh, that that's just crazy. So um, I moved back down here and there's some more movement that you're seeing and uh, out there the housing bubble finally bursts and that's when gas prices skyrocketed. Um, I'll just tell you right now um, when I was working at the paper in my first few months there you know that summer first few weeks really my salary there was 950 an hour. And back in 2008, that was not a lot of money. So uh, to fill up my 95 Ford Taurus that I was driving around, um, it was about 40 or $50, and that, that was a lot. Um, but um, 
during that summer, I went to my girlfriend's house, and that girlfriend is now my wife, and her father had on some car show, and it was a big event out probably in Vegas, I think, and it was where all the major auto manufacturers would show off concept cars or the new model of the car that was going to be at dealerships pretty soon or, you know, improvements that they made, that type of thing. It was, you know, where they're showing off what they got. And what caught my interest, because I'm not really a car guy, um, was the hosts of that portion of this car show went over to this lady who uh, was working for, I believe it was GM or Chevy, and she is standing next to this big honkin' conversion van. Um, if you don't know what a conversion van is, it's bigger than a minivan, but smaller than an airport van. And like an airport van can like seat like 20 people. A conversion van would seat like about like 10 to 12 people. They were horribly fuel inefficient. Um, my aunt and uncle had one, and I remember that it got 12 miles a gallon, and they had that, they bought it new, I believe in the late 90s. Um, so this lady is standing next to a conversion van, and they're asking her questions about it, and she's showing off all the bells and whistles with it, and how it's just such a great vehicle, and they'd kind of fallen out of popularity, and the, uh, host or interviewer asked her, well, what's the gas mileage on it? And she answered and said 15 miles a gallon and moved on very quickly from that question. And her refrain to basically any follow-up question that guy had was, the conversion van's making a comeback. And I remember watching this and thinking, lady, are you out of your mind right now? The context of the situation is that gas is well above $4 in all parts of the country here. You know, <laughs> you, you you have got to be insane to be trying to sell people on a machine here that is horribly, hilariously fuel inefficient and um, asking people to spend their hard-earned money on this and, and insisting to people that the conversion van is making a comeback. Now, I also recognize that le that lady was just doing her job. Um, she was sent out there to sell vehicles and showcase what uh, GM or Chevy had done. And I also understand that GM and Chevy and any other auto manufacturer out there had zero control over the housing bubble bursting and the Great Recession starting. It was just poor timing to an extent. Be that as it may. As I'm sorry, there's a thunderstorm happening right now. Anyway, be that as it may, um, I think that GM or Chevy, whoever was making this conversion van, may have needed to step back uh, and reconsider their marketing campaign for that. And I don't know that trying to sell a conversion van at that point in time was the smartest decision out there. All right, so um, as we talked about in our last podcast, uh, branding is about trust and building a relationship between your company and the customer so that using your product or service becomes a no-brainer. Uh, it's so the consumer doesn't have to feel bad for an instant when purchasing your product. In fact, you want them to feel good about it. Branding is not what you say about you. It's what others have to say about you.
one of the fastest ways to lose market share and lose your customer is to break that trust. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Uh, marketing is, in fact, one of those ways. Now more than ever, people are paying very, very close attention to what a company does and how it does what it does. Being socially responsible isn't just a badge of honor. It's expected. People want to know that that cup of coffee they are drinking was sourced properly, that that steak or piece of chicken that they're eating was raised humanely, the clothing that they are wearing wasn't made in a sweatshop, or the phone that they're using wasn't made in a sweatshop. The sustainability that the book talks about with products and how uh, companies operate, uh, we're seeing that with the green movement. Large swaths of customers get upset when they find out that the company they're buying furniture from is getting government contracts for migrant detention centers. That happened to Wayfair this past summer. They want to know that their privacy isn't being sold out. Uh, that was Facebook with the Cambridge Analytica scandal that happened, uh, I think, two or three years ago. Uh, they get upset if a company is anti-LGBTQ. Think Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. They ran into some trouble with that. Um, there, of course, is the other side of that coin, where the stance of a company or actions of a company appeal to a different customer base and reaffirms those consumers' support of said company and, and loyalty to that company. There are a lot of examples of how ethics play a role in the consumer's uh, buying decision process and how a company can get in some really hot water. Consider Nestle. Back in the 1970s, the company ran a campaign advertising baby formula as better than breast milk. And this uh, campaign was being implemented or uh, launched in third world countries where the majority of the population lived in extreme poverty and access to clean water was limited for many. Uh, this campaign also ran in spite of the mountain of evidence to the contrary about the benefits of baby formula uh, versus breast milk. Um, it, it was a big deal. Uh, there, was, there was a lot to it. And um, the issues that people took with it from an ethical standpoint was Nestle was creating a need where none existed. Uh, they were convincing consumers that the products were indispensable. And they were linking these products with the most desirable yet unattainable concepts like uh, living like a Westerner. And then they were giving these uh, poor people samples to try to get them like hooked on it, and not, not hooked, addicted or anything, but to get them using it and getting them in the habit of it. Um, like I said, it was actually a really big deal. Um, there were some major court cases about it. The United Nations got involved, uh, UNICEF. Uh, I encourage you all to Google it. It's a, uh, it's a good example of bad ethics. Uh, it's kind of disturbing. It shows greed, um, but it's, it's certainly worth a look and worth some of your time. Um, when something bad does happen, people don't want the corporate line anymore. They want action, swift and decisive. And they also want a legitimate apology. And that's not the I'm sorry you're upset apology we've seen time and time again. And if things, a bad situation isn't handled properly by a company, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be in it for round two. And round two is going to be a lot less pretty than round one was. Excuse me, another uh, sip of water there. Um, 
boycotts are not uncommon anymore. In fact, boycotts against a company that people take issue with with its ethics or uh, uh, practices um, most days now are rooted in a social movement. And uh, these boycotts aren't short. And for the company, they take time for the dust to settle and to rebuild trust. And that is only uh, if they've responded appropriately. There are plenty of overall ethical issues to remember as marketers as you're developing campaigns and their messages. A few that I'd like to highlight are misrepresenting your your company's products and actual capabilities. Um, You guys have probably experienced this as a consumer when you buy that thing you saw an ad for and it absolutely doesn't work how it was advertised. There's uh, manipulating or misusing data or not being able to back up what your data suggests. It's kind of that... uh, you know, four out of five doctors say, or, you know, eight out of 10 dentists recommend. Um, I saw that with Listerine a while back where uh, Listerine is a mouthwash and, um, excuse me, they were advertising that in addition to killing bacteria in your mouth and giving you minty fresh breath, that their product also could cure a sore throat or strep throat. And, um, Somebody finally called them on it and said, "Prove it. Where's your data? Where's the where? Where's your backup to that?" And unfortunately, Listerine could not prove that. They were just hedging their bet that, well, Listerine has alcohol in it and it kills bacteria. And what is a sore throat but an infection? So if people are gargling it, it's got to be it's got to be working. But they actually didn't have data uh, to back that up. So um, there's also targeting disadvantaged or vulnerable groups. Um, you can think of uh, cigarette ads or market cigarette marketing campaigns of the 1950s through practically the 1990s. There's no way that Joe Camel, that cartoon camel uh, that was smoking cigarettes down at the jazz club, there's no way that that wasn't meant for kids. Uh, there's no way that the Marble Man, that really cool cowboy, tough cowboy guy, uh, that he wasn't uh, try, they weren't trying to use him to appeal to kids and uh, adolescents to be cool. Um, there's also invading uh, people's privacy through that email campaign in which you harvest data of people and then sell it. As marketers, we don't have to be reactive to a situation. We can be proactive. More often than not, campaigns are filtered through a company's code of ethics or at least looked over by people who have some standards. There are, of course, those ad campaigns we see that clearly were not run uh, against, a, looked over against a code of ethics, or pretty much looked at at all. Um, I think of that Kendall Jenner uh, Pepsi ad from a few years ago. Uh, that was pretty controversial, um, and I remember watching it and thinking, how the hell did this make it on TV? And people were upset about that. They Pepsi pulled that ad pretty quickly. Um, Chances are, uh, when you're developing a marketing campaign or working on one, that if something seems questionable, it probably is. And from an ethical standpoint, you have a duty to speak up. The book does a good job outlining the social responsibility that all organizations are held to. There's the economic, and that is to make a profit. And it's not just for the stakeholders or the CEOs and the higher-ups there. It's for the employees, uh, and in some cases, a community might depend on you. And by that, I mean, the, think of um, 
an auto plant, the major employer in a small community where most of the community works. If they're screwing around and uh, not doing something right, they could shut down and a lot of people would be out of work. There's a lot of livelihoods there. They have a responsibility to those people to operate ethically and to operate effectively and to be successful and to help those people, uh, their employees, put food on the table to match the roof over their head. There's the legal, which is obeying laws and regulations. That's pretty simple. Uh, there's the ethical, uh, and that's doing what's right and being fair. And that boils down to even how you treat your employees. Um, Amazon is one of my favorite examples, as, as I've mentioned before. Uh, there's also Purdue. There was uh, some issues with how they were uh, treating their employees, even allowing them uh, bathroom breaks, and it made news. Um, then there's the philanthropic excuse me, the philanthropic. And that's the being a good corporate citizen, helping out, supporting causes, helping charities out, donating money or time, uh, championing a cause. As the book talks about, there are issues to be aware of within a marketing campaign. Um, in pricing, uh, I'm just going to go over a few here. But in pricing, there are things like price deception, reference pricing, price discrimination, predatory pricing, fraudulent refund policies, and my personal favorite, I say that tongue-in-cheek, is price gouging. Uh, an example of that, uh, you see that a lot during disasters, um, whether they're man-made or uh, naturally occurring. Um, in the past, I know I've seen things about, uh, you know, a hurricane's about to hit and people are, um, or a big storm is going to hit, and those power generators at the hardware store that normally sell for 300 bucks are magically, uh, all of a sudden, $1,000 because they know people are that desperate. Um, I've actually witnessed that around here, um, not in Olean, but... Um, when I was working at the paper, our neighboring city of Bradford, they had an absolute water crisis in that the water main, the I mean, I'm talking the water main that fed the entire system of the city of Bradford, uh, there was a rupture in it, and they were without water. Uh, the whole system was went dry, and it affected everybody from the hospital to the school to the government buildings, to the grocery stores, to all the residents that were uh, residential um, units that were tied into the system. Nobody had water for a, for a good long while. And what happened was you were seeing many stores that normally sold that case of water uh, for the 24 pack of water for let's say four bucks. Now all of a sudden they were 30. Uh, there was a hardware store around here that they uh, sold rain barrels, and those rain barrels uh, typically sold for fourteen ninety nine. Uh, all of a sudden, they were about a hundred bucks. They sold uh, giant containers that held several thousand gallons of water. Um, I don't remember the you know what the base price was, but they were all of a sudden jacked up to about three grand. Um, I mean, it, it was absolutely taking advantage of a horrible situation. Um, issues to consider with promotion, those false or misleading ads, bait-and-switch techniques, high-pressure sales, uh, using stereotypes. Uh, you can look pretty much at any ad from the 1940s and 1950s to see how they use stereotypes. Or there's the failure to honor promotion, uh, promotional promises. 
you know, some of those, you know, like I just went over, you know, high pressure sales, pick up the phone with any, uh, uh, telemarketer trying to sell you that warranty on your car that, uh, you may or may not have, or, um, you know, to settle your credit card debt. Uh, they're, they have some very, very despicable practices in, in taking advantage of, you know, the elderly or people who just don't know any better. Um, I have included two links to two videos that I've shared before when I've got, uh, taught this chapter. I realize that they are kind of funny, but they are kind of meant to be serious as well. Uh, the first is one, it's a commercial from Extreme Discount Mattress Warehouse, and that's a small chain of uh, mattress uh, stores up in western New York. And our uh, friend George Costello, the owner of the chain, uh, he does. He actually does a pretty good job for a low-budget commercial for the local mattress chain of touting uh, his honesty and ethics against his competitors in the mattress industry. And he actually gets a little angry in it uh, going on. But if you take a step back from the, the humor of it, he does a good job of, you know, selling his company and why they're honest and why you can trust him versus uh, other mattress companies. Uh, then the other video is a clip from The Simpsons, and it was an episode where Marge becomes a realtor. Um, it's from the classic era of The Simpsons, and um, it's she's with a co-worker, and they are discussing the truth versus the truth. Um, and that really kind of highlights uh, the language that we use and how we describe things. Well, is you know something like, is the house small or is it cozy? Um, and as marketers in developing your campaigns and word choice and descriptors that you're using, something just to consider. So generally speaking, uh, there are some measures that you can take to prevent yourself from being put in a tough uh, spot when it comes to ethics. Uh, they are, and I'll just go over them quickly here. Uh, consider the ethical and social impacts of the marketing campaign you're developing ahead of time. It would be foolish not to and to launch something that might have some issues because somebody's paying a lot of money for it and to have to pull that, you know, that's just think about that stuff ahead of time. Uh, develop a code of ethics for, uh, for your work, um, what you're comfortable with, what you think is appropriate, what you think matters. Um, and that helps you when you're considering those ethical and social impacts of your campaign as you're working on it. Um, also, find out what your employer's code of ethics is before working there. If they don't have one or you can't find it, uh, just a tip, that's actually a really good question to ask during your job interview. You know, tell me about where, you, you know, your ethics, where you stand on um, social responsibility and that. Uh, just something to think about there. Um, and then adhering to ethics codes of self-regulatory agencies like the Better Business Bureau or looking up what the Consumer Bureau or the Consumer Finance Bureau of Protection, I'm butchering that, uh, uh, that bureau's name, but it's the one that uh, Elizabeth Warren started during the Obama years. Look into uh, their ethics, uh, their ethical standards that they have. So with that, um, I'm looking forward to our discussion in Moodle. I'll certainly be participating in it. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to it. So um, I will see you guys on Moodle, and I will talk to you guys again next week in our podcast. Have a good week, everybody.